Welcome back to the Keep It Quirky podcast. I'm your host, Katie Quinn, and this is the pod where I talk with fellow creatives and entrepreneurs about food, travel, and the discipline and drive to create. Passion begets passion. So come on with me and let's do this. Welcome back to the Keep It Quirky podcast. This is Katie Quinn, and I am so happy to have you back with me. Today's guest is another Rockstar Katie. Her name is Katie Parla. You probably know all about her, especially if you are into anything Italy. She is known for really being a go-to expert on all things food and drink Italian. She is based in Rome. She is a food and beverage cookbook author, journalist. She's also a guide, but very exciting. She just came out with a new cookbook called Food of the Italian South. I went all around Italy researching Italian wine for my upcoming book, which you guys know about, I've talked about before. And I must say that the Italian South has a special place in my heart. My great-grandparents are from that area of Italy. They're from Puglia and Calabria. And actually, this happened after the conversation with Katie. I went to the small village where my great-grandfather, or Bisnono, is from in Puglia. And against many odds, I found his birth certificate. That was the coolest thing. I mean, really highlight, highlight, highlight of the trip. And so it was extra cool to hear Katie talk about what makes this area unique in Italy. It's a really diverse country. Different regions are super different from each other. So I caught up with Katie Parla in Rome in her beautiful flat. I asked her to do the audio test for the podcast, counting to 10 in Italian. In the course of the interview, she also tells us some great Romanesco insults. I was taking notes there. And she teaches us, keep it quirky in Italian. Come si dice keep it quirky in Italiano? Stai particolare. Like, be particular. Which particular is like kind of quirky. Okay, yeah. Kind of in the way Italians use it anyway. That's the best I can do. (laughs) I like it. I'm going to go with that. That's going to be my slogan while I'm in Italy. And so if you listen to last week's episode with Rebecca Pepler, too, you heard my friend Camila, who is originally from Colombia, teach us how to say keep it quirky in Spanish. Se siempre peculiar. You, you know, you're becoming multilingual listening to this podcast, guys. I love this conversation with Katie. I'm sure you all will, too. And without further delay, I will throw it to my self in Rome talking to Katie Parla. Here it is. Parla. Hi, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So I am sitting in your beautiful Rome apartment right now. Tell us about your neighborhood. I live in Monteverde Vecchio. So if you've been to Rome and visited Trastevere and then accidentally wandered up a really tall staircase, I live at the top. Um, Or maybe you were looking for the Janicolo scenic overlook and got lost at the top of the hill. Well, that's my neighborhood. It's really beautiful. In thinking about my questions, what I wanted to ask you, it's so all over the board because you do so many things. And I was trying to wrap my mind around, okay, how would I even introduce Katie? What would I call her? A journalist slash writer slash podcaster slash almost historian. And you have all these certifications like with wine. So you're also like part like sommelier, like all of these words flood in. How do you describe yourself and what you do? Uh, I'm a wellness influencer. (laughs) 
No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm a Rome-based food and beverage author, writer, food journalist, cookbook author, guide, and others. I don't even know. I don't know. I can never keep track. I might do too many things. I'm a very unfocused human. Well, no. Okay. This makes me feel better though, because we're on the same page with all of the things that you do and it being potentially overwhelming to look at a list of them. But to say that you're unfocused, I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit because I would say everything that you do, you do fully and you do a super badass job at. Like your newest book, which I have right in front of me here, Food of the Italian South, and it's beautiful. And something that really stuck out to me about it is how you you started it. Because this is, what number book is this for you? We're getting into, um, we're getting pretty high here. So I'm not sure how many right now, but I wrote over the course of the past 16 years, including two book, two cookbooks, about 30 books, mostly guides, the Rough Guide to Naples, um, the National Geographic Guide, Walking Rome. Um, and if you had a guidebook in like the early aughts, I probably wrote it or edited it. Okay, so so you are um, very experienced in this and in in writing about Italy specifically. So the thing that really caught my attention in your intro to this book is that the light bulb moment that happened when you were able to, because you and your mom dug up some ancestry research and that you like went to where your great grandma was is from, right? Which is a little place called Spinoso. And so the family roots and kind of like, at least it seemed from what you wrote, like a light bulb moment, or there's a reason why I've been so drawn to this. What difference did that make to you in the creation of this book? Well, I think like a lot of Italian Americans, I grew up with a vague idea of where my family was from. And, you know, we always were told that we were from Naples and then there was no follow-up explanation. And I certainly you know, didn't make any follow-up questions, sort of took for granted that there could have been a whole other story behind uh, that origin myth of the Cipollina slash Parla family. And yeah, like after my grandmother died, we did some digging and found, you know, some documents and we're actually not from Naples. We're from Basilicata. I was already really intensely obsessed with the South of Italy um, when I was in college, I lived in Rome um, during you know, the summers and did research and like went to Naples, uh, spent a lot of time there and already had a great affection for the South because I thought that I was from Naples, but the South is a huge area. So like that love just spread even more when I found out the Spinoza Basilicata roots. And that really made me realize like I need to travel a lot more through these rural zones. And while I am way into Naples and Bari and Reggio Calabria and Lecce and all the cities of the South, um, I think that sort of light bulb moment was I need to really get into the remote mountainous regions of the lower peninsula. Which brings up something else that I wanted to ask you because so much of what you focus on is preserving a history in Italy that is being lost. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I mean, I think all food cultures and cultures are in evolution. We don't eat things here in Rome that people ate a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago. You know, the most famous dish, carbonara, dates to 1959, 1960. So thankfully things are constantly in evolution. But the Italian South was 
um, a place that was neglected from a development standpoint in the 19th and 20th centuries. So that led people to leave. And when people leave, you've got fewer and fewer cooks as the people who are left behind die out. Um, recipes vanish with them. And, you know, I often joke that I want to write a book of the Italian South that has not 85 recipes, but 85,000 recipes. And that probably wouldn't even cover all of the lost and disappearing dishes. So I think as is evidenced by how you just talked about the evolution of food, you, you really... You speak like a historian, and I really, you know, in the list of the many things you do, I would put historian in it. And, just, and, you know, you and I spoke before we started recording a bit about deep diving into the wine industry in Italy, beyond the industry, just wine in Italy. And you are so knowledgeable and like about history. And so what role does that play in your journalism career? I mean, I think I'm most comfortable when I'm speaking about history, um, I always was drawn to it. It's the reason I moved to Rome in the first place. Um, My bachelor's is in the history of art. My MA is in the history of Italian gastronomic culture. And where, where is your MA from? The University of Rome, Tor Vergata. Um, Università di Studi di Roma, Tor Vergata. Um, so, yeah, like, I don't have a ton of confidence as a writer. Like, people tell me that my writing's good and whatever. Like, I disagree respectfully. But I, humble, humble, <laughs> humble. No, but I, like, I struggle with that. And the reason that I write so much is because I want to tell information, like, document information. So while I'm not doing so in like a scholarly venue or in any academic uh, setting, I sort of fancy myself um, I'm an amateur cultural historian who's writing things down and hopefully will continue to do so. Let's talk about language because uh, you are fluent in Italian and um, I imagine that it's important to your job and having access, but stepping back from kind of like the practical reasons to have Italian or to know Italian, it is a beautiful language. I think we can all agree on that. Um, I'm taking like super basic Italian classes this week while I'm in Rome. Can you talk to me about your love affair with the Roman language, Italian language slash Roman dialect, which I know is very different because... I've heard you say that. Um, Is it how much of it is a love and how much of it is a practical necessity? When I decided to move to Rome when I was 16, um, I was really devoted to learning Italian because I loved the idea of the culture. I loved the idea of becoming fluent in a language. And I still have that passion. Um, Much to my dismay, I do not pick up languages uh, very rapidly. So it took a while certainly like, you know, a lot of repeating intro classes to to get a handle on things. And it wasn't until I moved here that I, I was fluent, but I was always like very um, excited about the Italian language. Not excited enough to take film or literature classes in college, though. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think I feel really comfortable when I'm like memorizing things and learning grammar and, you know, regurgitating words. So it, it kind of took me out of my comfort zone when I moved here with, you know, honestly, very little Italian, a lot of grammatical base, but no vocabulary. And I was like, you know, what? I'm going to give it a shot. I'm just going to like not take a class and start talking and figure it out. And that actually made me passionate, not 
just for Italian, but also for Romanesco or Romanaccio. I was, when I first moved here, living in the eastern periphery of Rome. A lot of the people that were you know, living around me might have you know, spoken Italian if they were in a formal setting, but what they spoke to one another was a pretty vulgar dialect, um, one that is often ridiculed by people, especially from the north of Italy. Um, but it's one that I really... Uh, I really love, and you know, it's it's a uh, probably like only Arabic is a more exciting language for like cussing people out than the Roman dialect. A more exciting language? <laughs> Can you like give? Okay, okay, parental warning. <laughs> but like, what's what's an example of a vulgar thing that someone would say? Limortaci tua means basically I curse your favorite dead relatives. <laughs> Not the ones you hated, just the ones that you really <laughs> treasured. Um, so, so yeah, that's a, that's a great one. And like all the, uh, like all the ways like to tell people to fuck off, really exciting, amazing. And, and so you were successful in picking up this language, becoming fluent in it without taking more language classes here in Rome. Yeah, I mean, it took maybe nine months. I have to say, like, shout out to Fabrizio, my dumbest ex-boyfriend. Um, we started dating the first, you know, month that I was here, and he was very stupid and had a very limited vocabulary. Um, so it really helped, like, being around people that were really, like, mono and bisyllabic. <laughs> um, so, and also living with students who were not fluent in English, and certainly barely knew any, but were, like, patient with me, um, so that I would listen to them and sort of mimic them and then, you know, you know, phrase questions the way that they had. Uh, and the Italian that I was learning, the, the sort of proper fluent Italian that I was speaking um, after I became fluent was really different anyway than what you learn in school. Regarding Fabrizio, I have heard that the best way to learn a language is in the crib or in bed. Wink, wink. And so having an Italian boyfriend does go far, even if he had a higher IQ. No, a very stupid Italian boyfriend is what I recommend. <laughs> Noted. So we talked about all of the ways that you have to define yourself, right? Because you are the definition of a multi-hyphenate. Would you, do, would you call yourself an entrepreneur as well? Because so you're freelance and there's a fine line kind of. And I would say that you are because you have a brand, a recognizable brand. Would you say you are? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I like, I hustle. It's what I know how to do. So if I see an opportunity to develop, uh, like a culinary itinerary in a neighborhood that I'm excited about that no one else is touring in, like I go for it. And also back in the day, like I came here, my first job was leading private tours for context travel, wonderful company, highly recommend. Um, and I started to sort of branch out on my own and was doing, you know, a lot of archaeological itineraries, art historical itineraries, but spending a lot of time talking to my clients about food. So I was like, huh, about 07, I was like, huh, I'm going to do some food itineraries too, see how that works. Um, so I think I'm just really enthusiastic about certain topics, and those often tend to be the topics that, uh, that connect with people. Um, I also really love the idea of like experimenting with content. Like 10 years ago, I built a mobile app. Um, I had had like a terrible relationship with National Geographic. They like paid me almost no money to write Walking Rome. And I did so because they were like, we're put, we'll put your name on the cover. And they didn't. So I was like, that's fucked up. So I'm going to own my content from now on. It was doing pretty well 
doing tours. So I had some money to work with and I built a mobile app called uh, Katie Parla's Rome. And that was like an awesome product until the developers abandoned it and it died. RIP. But it was like, no individuals have apps. Why not? Like, let's see what I can do with this. And, you know, it was a learning process and not one of my more successful entrepreneurial endeavors. (laughs) But you know, I think I just love the idea of experimenting and in different sort of business categories, nonetheless. Yeah. And learning something from each decision, right? Which will, I'm sure, um, you know, the app will take another form in your work somehow in the future. Yeah. I mean, I think I adapted the content into like a few blog posts or something. (laughs) There it is. There it is. You got it. Something that really strikes me about your content is that you um, kind of like state it like it is like Americans have so many Americans and other people have a lot of romantic ideas about Italy and you love Italy and that comes through loud and clear. So when you're talking about something, it's clear the love is there, but you are not shy to um, say how it is, even if it's something that does not align with a stereotype. For instance, you and I were talking about wine and you were like, yeah, well, you know, wine consumption in Italy is declining. That's a fact. When I think so many Americans think all Italians have wine with lunch, dinner, sometime breakfast, whatever. Um, can you talk to me? And okay. And our mutual friend, acquaintance, Rebecca Pepler, um, you, her big Aperol spritz article that made a splash in the New York times, you were heavily quoted in it saying like, yeah, it's not a good drink, right? Being very fact forward (laughs) in, in that. I think that that's really badass and it's something I admire. Um, is it a conscious choice to not bullshit your audience? No, I, I like to fight and I like to argue. And I think I also am, you know, I made a decision a long time ago to be at the service of my reader um, and not not to necessarily always say, positive things about Italy because doing so paints a completely erroneous picture of this place. I am aware that I am both like incredibly Roman in some ways and also super American in other ways. And I try to be respectful of both sides of the coin. Um, But I think like many Italians, I have some romantic stereotypes about this place. And like many Americans, I do too. But unlike both Italians and Americans, I analyze this place in a way that is sometimes painful, um, especially when you know we reflect on uh, the cost of produce and how that's related to modern day slavery, or um, to pick a lighter topic, um, the fact that Aperol is not, in my opinion, and I believe I'm very correct about this, the best red aperitivo on the market. It's the one that has the most funding, uh, aligning it with the spritz, which can be made with any red bitter liqueur. So, I mean, I think in a way, like, I made a conscious decision to not act as a public relations agent of brands a long time ago. And so I don't necessarily, like, reflect on it now. I just say what I uh, believe in. And um, and that's not always popular, but, like, I'm okay with that. I might maybe, like, subconsciously I prefer that. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, it is the easier way to make money is to align yourself with brands. So does that mean that money is not your um, primary motivator? I'm very poor. No, I mean, I work really hard. I make a decent living. Um, I would certainly, considering like how long I've been at this and how present my voice is in the Italy space, if every time I got 
an offer from a pasta company or a sauce company or like a vineyard or name your business. If I took those up, I would own this apartment. I wouldn't be renting it. Yeah. I'm like very aware that my finances and like my ability or lack thereof to ever retire is really linked to this ethical decision. Um, I will say that sometimes I do partner with brands. Like I just published a book. I just finished my 45th book event and that wouldn't have been possible without, uh, the funding of Pasti Feature Di Martino. They gave me money to tour my book. I love their product and we served it now at what? 20 of those, uh, 20 of those events, 22 of those events. I've got eight more to go, but you know, it's, I think it's, uh, I sort of grappled with this, but I think I can make an intellectual argument in favor of, of doing that, especially because the sponsorship is explicit and it is to the end of getting this book in people's hands, which I hope will drive people to go to a Corti in Santa Anastasia and Vanulo outside of Pestum and uh, Trattoria di Pietro in Melito Urpino and like really benefit those small businesses that really need attention. Did you know that you would work with them in the book tour bef- like while you were writing the book? No, actually, I'd interviewed my friend Giuseppe Di Martino, who owns Pasta Feature Di Martino. I've known him for a long time, and I love his pasta brand. He has this sort of luxury pasta brand called Pasta Feature Dei Campi. And when that was first launched about 10 or 11 years ago, we met, um, hit it off. We've remained really close friends. And I interviewed him about Gragnano Pasta and pasta production for the book. And then, you know, maybe two years later, um, just before the book came out, his family company, Pasta Feature Di Martino, um, got on board as a sponsor, but that was a subsequent negotiation for sure. The definition of an organic partnership. <laughs> as, as an expat now, um, myself, I'm wondering if when you go home to New Jersey, you feel like it's home, even though you've lived in Rome for 16 years. Totally. I mean, a lot has changed for sure. Now when I go home, there's like a farmer's market and there's a Trader Joe's and like a lot of things have changed. It's a Whole Foods. So, but I still really identify as a, as a New Jerseyan. I lived there for the first 18 years of my life and definitely, uh, have, you know, Jersey pride, even though Jersey pride's like kind of absurd because I didn't choose to be born there. I just had the fortune of being born there. I didn't earn it. I was gifted it. But, uh, but yeah, like I definitely feel at home, but I feel at home in a lot of places, even places that I haven't really lived or even necessarily been before. Like the first time I went to Istanbul, I'm like, I feel totally at home here. I don't even know the language, but this feels like very natural to me. So maybe I'm just like kind of a, I'm trying to think of like a not slutty word to say about like how I engage with cities. (laughs) Some, a mystical nomad or something. Sure. Let's go with that. All right, Katie, you you have to run to do a wine class, which is amazing. You have a fantastic job. One of the many parts of it that's amazing. So I'm going to sadly wrap this up. Thank you so much for your time. Um, and I would like to end this conversation as I end all conversations on my podcast, which is asking you, how do you keep it quirky? I drink lots of wine. And that's why we get along. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Thank you. And everyone, check out the podcast that Katie does with another lovely, very impressive woman, Danielle. It's called Gola. Um, So if you are into Italian culture, you will love this podcast. Um, Check out Katie's book, The Food of the Italian South, and all of her other books. Katie, where else can they find you? I'm at Katie Parla on Instagram. Katie, thanks so much for coming on the pod. Prego, thanks for having me. Ciao, ciao.
Thanks again to Katie for her time, for sharing her experiences, and for her overall awesomeness. I hope it's cooled down in Rome, Katie. When I was there, we were both sweating a lot. I'm happy to report it's nice and mild in London. Guys, if you are interested in learning more about my book project or staying hooked into my updates on what I'm doing, where I'm going, who I'm meeting, what I'm learning for the book, please sign up for my e-newsletter. The link to that is in the show description. Also, please take a moment to rate this podcast if you haven't yet. You know that it helps. Every review goes really far. So thank you so much. And I will see you all back here quite soon. Thank you to Funky Brian for the theme song you hear right now. Do yourself a favor and don't forget to keep it quirky. Bye.